I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the best-selling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Happy New Year to everyone, and I've noticed podcasts sliding up the politics charts on the news charts to a pretty high level, and I appreciate that. It's all thanks to all of you telling 10,000 friends and family members about the show, and I hope that continues into the new year. Did you do anything fun over New Year's? Uh, I went to bed on New Year's Eve at around... 12.30 in the morning, and I immediately regretted it, and I had a rude awakening the next day. Does that make me old, or am I simply just a sleep-deprived uh, parent of small children? Uh, anyway, in the opening today, I point out one of my New Year's resolutions, which is I'm going to stop giving credit to people who have ignored all the horrible things the left has done over the last decade plus in this country and the West, and uh, they're just starting to wake up now. It's getting super irritating, and I supply some examples in the opening of the show to illustrate what I'm talking about. I also make a big personal announcement at the top of the show um, that I guess I'm making here as well. Uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe and I are expecting our third child uh, any day now, and the third in only three and a half years, to be precise. So uh, we couldn't be more thrilled, and everything we know about the baby so far is that she is perfect. And we're so blessed, beyond blessed and overjoyed to share the news. It might take me away from the show for a little bit, uh, but I promise it won't be too long. It won't be many months like Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Um, so I do believe having as many children as possible is, is important. And I've loved being a dad so far, so I have no reason not to practice what I preach. So we're doing it. So uh, she will join the clan with uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe and Master Marlowe and... Master Marlowe Jr., who, you know, we named after my, my favorite, which is Master Marlowe, so that we thought that was appropriate. And the dogs, we got Daphne, the German Shepherd, and Chip, the Terrier Mix. And now we've even got uh, uh, Flossie, the female crown tail, so goldfish-like creature who's new to the family, just a couple of months old. So uh, all of that is makes uh, me very happy and I think adds some perspective when I come to the show every day. So uh, while the internet was not a super productive place over the holiday weekend, there's a lot of debate over Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's boyfriend's feet and whether or not middle-aged conservative pundits want to date her. Uh, we had a lot of important coverage of Breitbart that I, I want to plug, some cheat sheets, some roundups of things like Joe Biden's biggest failures on the coronavirus and in the energy sector and explaining why you all feel poor and gas is more expensive, etc. Uh, all that's still on the front page of Breitbart.com uh, as we are recording this, so I do recommend you hunt some of that down. They're really useful and good for posterity. Uh, plus, I will plug yet again my interview with Victor Davis Hansen, which I think is episode 40 if you are a podcast listener, but it's also the video footage that we have at Breitbart.com is really good because you can see some of our drone shots of his almond farm. Um, Two-hour interview in-depth with one of the most uh, agile minds and one of the most well-read scholars in the country, period, and uh, one that I got great feedback on that over the holiday weekend, and I do want to plug that yet again. Um, plus, we also preview what is to come this week. It is going to be January the 6th, round the clock, particularly in the establishment media, nonstop insurrection talk. All of that is something we're all going to have to endure as a collective, and we promise that Breitbart News Daily, the podcast, will be a respite to a, as much of a degree as possible from that. So today we have two guests, Congressman Matt Gates, his first appearance on the podcast. He's been on the radio show, it's been a long time, the live show in SiriusXM. 
Um, but if you spend time with him, it, it's hard not to like him. He's just one of these guys who's just really charming and charismatic, and he's got some uh, a some qualities that I really like. He's a true happy warrior, and I think that comes through very clearly in the interview. Not a guy who has le- led a pristine life. I've had some issues with some of the stuff he said or done in the past, but uh, hard not to like him and hard not to want to uh, staff the Congress with more happy warriors, and Gates is one, one such person. And quite resilient. A lot of personal attacks seems to be happier the more he gets attacked, which is a great quality these days. Uh, Francis Martel, also our world editor, who is beyond a fan favorite, one of the people, maybe the peop- maybe the Breitbart contributor I get the most positive email about, and I get so much on so many of our great people, from John Carney to John Nolte, et cetera, uh, to, to Jerome. Everyone loves Francis Martel, and why not? She's so knowledgeable and so clear as well. So all of that ahead, but first I do want to tell you about a great sponsor back for this year, American Hartford Gold. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed that everything is getting more expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008, and the government's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years, and inflation is here to stay. If the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money, your retirement, your savings? Well, American Heart for Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help you move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA. And they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they'll give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660 or text Alex to 65532. Again, that's 866-670-7660 or text Alex to 65532. Hope all of you had a great uh, New Year's. I, I started to take to something that I think is is pretty fun um, because I did get a chance to kind of go around and have some peaceful time um, with my family walking around. <clears throat> and uh, I, I came up with a new game. Then now when I see people wearing outdoor masks, when they wear the masks outdoors, uh, I just chant, let's go Brandon. Or I say, let's go Brandon. Or depending on my mood, I'll say LGB. And uh, the three-year-old's taking to repeat uh, to repeat after me sometimes, which adds to the fun. And I don't think anyone has gotten it yet completely, but I- I'm doing it now, and it's a blast. And I do think that everyone else should recommend it because of the people at this point who are wearing outdoor masks. Uh, what do you think the percentage of them voted for a President Big Joey, aka Brandon? Do, do you think it's a hundred percent, or do you think it's over a hundred percent? At least for those who showed up to the polls. Do you think there's a single Trump voter who's out there wearing masks outside at this point, the coronavirus, with peak cases? Uh, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any. So I think that that's, uh, it's a fun game and it's sort of, it, it, it's somewhere between passive aggressive and regular aggressive, but I, I'm over it this year. And uh, this is going to be one of my New Year's resolutions is I'm going to actually just start trying to to be uh, maybe a little less uh, polite about certain things. And uh, some things are really annoying 
that is going on in society right now and the outdoor masks are maybe the most annoying. Uh, but a lot of stuff that I do think also is, is worth pointing out, for example, is how there are so many people who are on the woke left who have been a part of the problem for so long who are now calling out certain members of the woke left as if they couldn't see some of the trends that are coming. Um, a lot of people over the weekend sent me clips of this guy, Andy Cohen, who uh, is a presenter on Bravo, uh, talking about how uh, he doesn't like Bill de Blasio. And there's one thing that Democrats and Republicans can agree on. It's sayonara sucker to Bill de Blasio, who's out now. And, you know, this is a guy who's been a part of the problem politically for a long time. It's a guy who is on the left, bestie friends with Anderson Cooper of uh, CNN, the fake news network. And he runs a lot of these uh, uh, Real Housewife shows that uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlo watches. And all these shows um, are get, get woker by the day. They cancel people all the time. Uh, and it's just a when you're a part of the left and then all of a sudden we're supposed to like applaud you for saying something super obvious. Uh, I'm over that. And I think that should be one of your New Year's resolutions, too. I really do recommend that. Is that if you see someone who's been on uh, who's been part of the problem for a long time, uh, don't give them too much credit for finally getting stuff right. Uh, we do this all the time now uh, on the right, because in the right, we're generally pretty nice people. And uh, a lot of us do see people who have been wrong for so long. All of a sudden, they're right for five minutes, and then we act like this is uh, it's some sort of great moment. It's not great. But we need to be much more forceful this year that a lot of the problems that are afflicting our society have come from the same origins, and that is the wokeification of the United States of America. And it has been going on for a very long time, and I want to be more vocal about it. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a really important thing to do. Uh, another example, thousands gather to oppose Dutch virus me measures despite ban. Now, you know, this is in the Netherlands, but it's a Europe has watched over the last 21 months, 22 months, whatever, however long the coronavirus is going on. Uh, they've watched more of their freedoms getting eroded. Now, granted, they don't have the Constitution, so it's a little easier for people to erode their freedoms. Uh, we watch this EU experiment, this super state experiment fail. And, you know, Brexit happened six, seven years ago. And now people are taken in the streets. I'm glad they're taken in the streets, but it is important to point out over and over again that these people are really late to the party. So now they're protesting lockdown measures. It, has there been a moment in Europe that you have read on your own or heard from when we discussed on the show Breitbart? Has there been a single example off the top of your head where Europe hasn't used the coronavirus as a chance to usurp more of your power? Has there been a moment off the top of your head that Democrats in the United States haven't used coronavirus to usurp more of your freedoms? You can't think of an example. It's happened the whole time. That's the pattern. That's what the left does, which is in control of not just the Democrat Party in the United States, but the EU and the UN and so many of these globalist bodies. They're all totalitarians. And whether or not they're light totalitarians or they're kind of gradual totalitarians or whether or not you know they're the Chinese Communist Party, uh, and they're just, just flat-out totalitarian at the outset. Uh, this is where they're going. And we at Breitbart and elsewhere have talked about this for north of a decade at this point. And um, I, I think it's important to point out who's been getting stuff wrong over and over again. It just is stunning to me that it's dawning on some people 21, 22 months into this virus that maybe there's too many freedoms being eroded at this point and people should be allowed to live their lives. If all of these people were awake 22 months ago, which they should have been, then maybe we wouldn't be in some of the mess that we're in right now. 
where, you know, even the incoming mayor in New York is going to leave most of the vaccine mandates, as far as we know. We had a clip of that. Let's play um, clip number A, uh, Haley. This is Eric Adams, the new mayor on ABC. Go ahead. That's our next move and decision. We're going to examine the numbers. If we feel we have to get to the place of making that mandatory, we're going to do that. But we're encouraging them to do it now. I took my booster shots, and every time I look at the numbers, I'm happy. And you know what the message is also, George? It's not only about is it going to prevent you from getting COVID? Because that's what people are saying. I got it and I had my booster shot. No, it's going to prevent you from dying. Yeah, so it doesn't, it, no one cares about freedom. They only care about uh, coronavirus and that's it. And there's many of us in the world right now who've been saying for the better part of this pandemic, maybe it's time to start caring about your freedoms. Maybe it's time to start caring about things other than coronavirus. Maybe there's more to life than coronavirus. I, I, I couldn't help but think having a nice, um, weekend and really the last week or so has been really nice. My family, because uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe is, uh, uh, has been, has had a lot more free time and my kids are in a super cute, adorable phase and my life is generally pretty good despite my occasional grumpiness on the show. You guys know I'm actually having a good time. Um, and I was thinking about how many people during this pandemic have not had a chance to meet their significant other. They've not had a chance to find love and fulfillment and certain things, particularly people who are extroverts. I'm sort of introverted. So I get, you know, most of my social time on the show with y'all. So I, I don't need a big, a big party to feel good. But I got lots of people at Breitbart who are just, it's a, they unwind by, you know, going out. How many people have had their lives just shut down by these totalitarians across the world? Can't travel where they want to travel to. When they're out, they're bummed out with the outdoor face masks. Uh, are those people completely free from consideration in all this? Children walking around with their masks, playing basketball now in California with masks under their chin. Um, the college football players who can't play their bowl game. What is this? This is insane what we've done. And so many people have been totally disenfranchised who have almost no voice because the Fauci's of the world and the de Blasio's of the world. But now even this stuff, this sort of light totalitarianism from the new great mayor, Eric Adams, going to consider a mandatory booster shots for city workers. It's all a climate of, for the name of control, for the name of taking power, that your lives are going to continue to be disrupted. Uh, I, w- I want to share something personal. Um, I don't share a lot personally on the show about my personal life just because it seems like a weird time to do that, particularly when you're in my unique line of work. But I will share some really good news that will impact the show to some degree. Um, uh, uh, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe is expecting a new baby. So we'll be having our third baby and it's going to happen any day now. And I'm pretty famous for not talking about stuff like this on the show. I think when Master Marlowe was born, I did not mention it until like hours before he was born. Um, and Mrs. Dr. Marlowe is not due for a couple of weeks, but she is, uh, th- this baby's a little larger than Master Marlowe or Master Marlowe Jr. It will be our first girl. So I think I'm going to go with Duchess Marlowe for the nickname for the show. Uh, it's, it's been controversial with the family. I've, I've polled some people. They're not as into it as I am, but I, I'm tentatively going Duchess Marlowe. But Duchess Marlowe should be here any day now. And if that happens, then uh, the show will go on and we'll have some great fill-ins for you. And I'll try to pop in when I can. Um, for probably a week or so, and then I'll come back, and then uh, I will have a, a even more perspective because kids give you a lot of perspective. So uh, we're very blessed, and the pregnancy has gone uh, pretty well 
so far. I think maybe a little harder as they go on for the mama, but uh, the the baby's been perfect. We've been very, very, very blessed, and um, I will assume that um, this will only enhance things going forward. But I do want to mention that to everyone. If I'm gone for a week or two, uh, that will be what's going on. And it's all good news. And I, I couldn't be more excited personally. It feels real because we got the house ready now. I think everything's in place. You know, bassinet's clean. You know, the you know paint's going up in the right places. The, uh, uh, the, the little girl clothes are moving in the closet. So uh, we're, we're ready to go in that regard and is trying to walk the walk. I'm trying to walk the walk. I will come in, I preach things on the show, and I really do try to leave, uh, live them. And I've been touting the virtues of families and big families in particular for a very long time. And so I'm doing my best to try to have a, a big family. So uh, number three on the way. And it's just interesting when you see one of our year-end stories. Uh, we always kind of tally up how many abortions took place during the year across the world, and it was 43 million across the globe, as far as we know. And I'm sure there's, it, it's hard to calculate it precisely, but Dr. Tom Williams did the rundown, which would make it the leading cause of death, even beyond coronavirus. Isn't that amazing? Uh, of course, if you assume that a, a nascent human life has value, which we do at Breitbart. So uh, all, all that's coming up. Um, yeah, but again, join me in this New Year's resolution. Uh, call out the people who have been behind on noting that the the uh, global totalitarians have been failing you. 2021 was the deadliest year in a quarter of a century in Chicago. So what's Chicago going to do? They're going to keep voting for Democrats. Um, this was a big theme in my interview with Victor Davis Hanson, which I highly, 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 highly recommend. And I got to play some of it uh, because people kept telling me how impressed they were with him and the way we, we put it together at Breitbart. Uh, it is the podcast, I think, from Wednesday. If those of you subscribe to the new Breitbart News Daily Podcast, which is doing really great, and it's all thanks to you. Um, I also recommend if you can get it on video, that would be something too. It's at the front page of Breitbart because we have some great aesthetics. Um, Matt Purdy, our videographer, was flying his drone all around Selma, California when we were there. Uh, but he's truly incredible, and I'm pretty steeped in his work. So I think my questions are pretty good, if I say so myself. Uh, you'll really enjoy that. And you get a lot of perspective on how California, the which is an experiment. It's a Democrat super state in that it has only it has one party rule. And he explains exactly how it's failing and why. And he really likens it to uh, he likens it to the Deep South circa the Cold War. He compares big tech to big cotton, and he talks about the race obsession that they have, and it does prevent them from solving a lot of their problems. So, but you're seeing this take place in a lot of our major cities throughout the country, and they cannot get over their race obsession. So definitely one of the things that was um, a super highlight for the year for me to get to do that, to talk to Professor Hansen for, it was a couple hours. So I, I do think you should pull that down if you have not pulled it down yet. Um, I will say my mom was really impressed by it. That's always a good sign when, when, when mama calls up and says, hey, that was really good. I'll say, thanks, mom. Appreciate that. Um, because, you know, uh, mamas consume a lot of their son's content. New York is prioritizing antiviral pills for non-white people. This is not a joke. New York State's Department of Health announced recently that non-white people should be prioritized over people, over over white people for antiviral pills, which are in short supply. 
Christina Wong writes for us at Breitbart. The DOH announced on December 27th that the limited, supp- limited supply of oral antiviral drugs that we have available will, quote, require providers to prioritize treatment for patients at highest risk for severe COVID-19 until more product becomes available. But under the list of eligible requirements, one of them would be have a medical condition or other factors that increase their risk of severe illness. And one of those factors is being non-white, uh, non-white race or Hispanic Latino ethnicity should be considered as a risk factor. As long-standing systemic health and social inequities have contributed to an increased risk of severe illness and death from COVID-19. So people are dying because of systemic racism. Professor Hansen points out in my interview with him that we were getting over race. We were getting past it as a society. And it always will be the elephant in the room in America. And it will be the, the monkey on our back in a lot of ways because of our horrible history with slavery and then Jim Crow. But it seemed like the public culturally had a deep desire to get past race. And the left does not think that that helps them politically. What helps them politically is when we talk about race all the time. So we have now gone back to that. And they were the ones who announced we needed to get over our racism. And then now they're bringing back our racism. Look at in California, look at New York. I mean, look at these places where they talk about race. They're more, much more racially obsessed. He's a professor at Stanford's Hoover Institution. And he says all the faculty emails have to do with race. You know, I mentioned that I went to a uh, very well-known prep school just outside of Beverly Hills and is the most exclusive school in the city of Los Angeles. And they were amongst the first to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion czar. It's the most exclusive place with the most, uh, uh, with, with an inclusion czar. Makes no sense. They're uh, one of the schools that actually admits they teach CRT. CRT, mostly, I talked to Dr. James Lindsay about this, who will be on the show this week. Um, he is one of, the, one of the professors that has researched CRT, and I think he's got a book coming out on it as well. Um, one of the most knowledgeable guys on it. And most places don't admit they're doing it, but in, in, in my prep school, they do. People are obsessed with race. All right, here's kind of a fun one. I do want your take on this because this was mega viral, probably the most popular story at Breitbart over the weekend looking at this one. Uh, 11,000 comments since on New Year's Eve. Um, Steve Cortez, who's on the show sometimes and is, is, is pretty fun, very aggressive, very MAGA. And he tweets a picture of AOC in Miami. AOC was getting dunked on for going to Miami for New Year's, which is free, which is a good dunk because she acts like she's Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, for those of you who don't know. She goes by AOC online. Um, she is, uh, she goes from, you know, the, uh, lockdown New York to free Florida. And Steve Cortez tweets, if leftists like AOC actually thought mandates and masking worked, they wouldn't be frolicking to free Florida. Good point. Two, her guy, she's with her boyfriend, is showing his gross fail, his gross pale male feet in public. Not a pool or beach with hideous sandals. Oh, for two. Obviously, he's being funny, but it is a you know personal observation about the appearance of her boyfriend. Um, 
which is, you know, there's a, there's a pro wrestling element to it. I can't say that's uh, would be my preferred language on Twitter, but what, what can I say? And then uh, AOC replies, if Republicans are mad, they can't date me. They can just say that instead of projecting their sexual frustration onto my boyfriend's feet, you creepy weirdos. She goes on, it's starting to get old, ignoring the very obvious strange and deranged sexual frustrations that underpin the Republican fixation on me, women and LGBT plus people in general. These people clearly need therapy, won't do it, and use politics as their outlet instead. It's really weird. Um, I thought it was a pretty, I, I thought it was kind of a checkmate, I gotta admit. I thought it was kind of a checkmate by her. She's good at the Twitter. I go, what are you supposed to say to refute that? I'm a professional refuting leftist arguments guy on radio. Um, you know, she kind of defends her boyfriend. She makes fun of her attacker. And Ocasio-Cortez, who is, you know, decent looking in shape, young person, um, calling, you know, middle-aged Trump supporters, you know, saying that they're sexually obsessed with me. It seems like one that'll be, I, I just don't know how you push back very hard on it. If you had any thoughts, I'm all ears. But that was the big viral story on Twitter. The other viral story on Twitter over the weekend was that Marjorie Taylor Greene has been permanently blacklisted um, from Twitter. And I'm going to add to my list just to do my New Year's resolution right off the bat. Um, Republicans who continue, conservatives who continue to give their best ideas away for free on Twitter are, are not helping. They're not helping. Because this is what Twitter is doing. They're gradually censoring all of you. Uh, either directly, like banning President Trump, or indirectly, like what they do with Breitbart. If you treat the word, if you tweet the word Breitbart or an article from Breitbart, uh, they have a algorithm set that limits the reach of the tweet. So they're using discrimination because not based on the facts of the story, or it, it's purely political that they don't want us to thrive on their platform. And so they think if it's beneficial for them to have a big public banning, then they do it. And if it's not uh, beneficial for them to do a big public banning, then they don't do it. That's how it goes. So I, I think it is time to start moving on. And of all the people on the right just said we're not going to use it anymore, I think it would change the world in, in a positive way. So instead, we will continue to play along. And we'll give away great ideas for free, and it will raise the stock of Parag Agrawal, the uh, censor who is now in charge of, of Twitter who just goes around banning everyone he doesn't like. Um, another one I think is positive. Dr. Fauci's out there discouraging even fully vaccinated people from going to restaurants. I, I don't think that people care anymore about his opinion. And I think this is a big this is a big thing that he still thinks that even if you've been vaccinated and boosted now, it's probably good to stay out of restaurants. Um, I think that finally, after you know, well over a year and a half of it being clear he has no idea what he's doing. I do think some people are starting to ignore him. I don't think that his uh, opinion has much sway anymore. And um, I, I don't know anyone who's listening to him any longer. Do you? Is there anyone in your life who uh, does think that everything everyone, everything Fauci says is positive? I don't. I think that's basically, I think those days are over in a lot of ways couple other ones I want to mention from the weekend. A bill filed in Florida would allow for video and audio recording classrooms. Florida continues to be the example for the rest of the country. Um, teachers should be recorded. I, I don't know. 
I talked to Dennis Prager about this, who's been a teacher for many years, and he said that he never understood why there'd be any objection to having your lectures recorded. Uh, it's because he's got integrity, and a lot of people don't want their lectures recorded because they know that they're going to be just using their platforms to indoctrinate kids, and they're not using their platforms to try to accomplish anything productive. U.S. billionaires grew their wealth by $340 billion in 2021. This is as the middle class shrinks. Big story John Binder wrote us for us at Breitbart News. Of course, the billionaire class. We're talking Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Larry Page, Mark Zuckerberg, Sergey Brin, Warren Buffett, many others. They combine to see their wealth grow hundreds of billions of dollars in 2021, according to a big report that came out. Um... We are, we have another thing about California, which will be the model for the world. If we continue going down the globalist road, we're going down. The is one of the models is that there's no middle class because when the middle class is both muscular physically and has a lot of power economically, then they can uh, really push their weight around politically. But we don't have that anymore. For example, in California, where there is a single party town and that town is Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley runs the state. And so long as the policies benefit mutually the billionaire class and the poor, for example, open borders, then those policies will stay in place even if they gradually shrink the working middle classes, which are the backbone of um, really the, the way the United States has always been. And a middle class is unique in history. I wouldn't say unique, but it's relatively rare in history. Professor Hansen gets into this with us. Um, the middle class is not uh, not present in most of the biggest city states and polices throughout time. There's usually an elite, and then there's a, a, a working poor, and that's it. In America, we had a grandized middle class as the ultimate, and that's getting eroded, and it's becoming less and less of a reality in a place like California. And I just ask you how it's going. So when you see all of us getting poor due to the Biden inflation, but then the wealthiest people in the world increasing their wealth by hundreds of billions of dollars, Silicon Valley itself, I think, is worth something like six, seven trillion dollars as a city. So uh, it's disturbing. But all these people have bought off most of Washington. And uh, Elon Musk is now buying off the conservative movement with a couple of uh, funny tweets about Elizabeth Warren, which is insane to me. Uh, a, a guy whose wealth is deeply tied to favorable deals cut by cut with China and the United States in particular is now celebrated on the right because he dunked on Elizabeth Warren on Twitter. He, he is wealthy because of deals with the U.S. government and the Chinese government. That's what, not to say he wouldn't be wealthy anyway, but that's why he's the richest person or second richest person on earth. All right, 866-95-PATRIOT if you would like to join us. One other thing, scary one. Joe Manchin is back negotiating Build Back Better according to reports. I don't know if these reports are true, by the way, because from the Axios, run by Lorreen Powell Jobs, another one of these billionaires, keeps making money. And uh, again, I want to know that picture. I want an explanation of it. Her with Ghislaine Maxwell. I want to know what the deal is. One of the villains of my book, Breaking the News. I still recommend it. Um... Another one of these uh, plutocrat billionaires who's buying more and more up of the American media marketplace, controlling more of our narrative. 
And I heard outlets reporting on Manchin's back and Build Back Better. Why? Because super elite love Build Back Better. They want Biden's agenda to go through and they want more. Uh, they, they want trillions and trillions and trillions of more spending. Did you know that there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? It's AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most important conservative organizations in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. Join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Again, first guest today is Congressman Matt Gates from Florida. We caught up with him at the America Fest, the Turning Point USA Confab, where I got to speak to lots of luminaries and warriors and cultural icons. And uh, Congressman Gates did not disappoint. I think you'll agree. Let's play the interview. Alex Marlowe here, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News with Congressman Matt Gates. Congressman, great to see you in person and good to see you at the America Fest, Turning Point USA. Uh, you spoke, you addressed the crowd, thousands and thousands of young people. What was the gist of what you were saying to them? I believe Republicans are going to retake the majority, and I want to make sure we're worthy of it, and that we have a plan and a strategy. And so I would convert every committee in the Congress to an oversight committee. And I wouldn't select chairmen for committees based on who'd been there the longest or who was able to launder lobbyists and pack money to the leadership. I'd pick the people who were capable at dogged, fair, determined oversight. And I think every committee has an investigation they should be running. And this is a stark contrast to like the Paul Ryan vision of a Republican majority with a Democrat president. In the Ryan years, they would pass all these bills, they would get Obama to veto them, and then they would claim that as some sort of moral victory. And then when we got power and we had Trump in the White House, they wouldn't put the same bills on Trump's desk. So I don't want to go through kind of the performative legislative practice. Joe Biden's not going to sign any bill of consequence that we pass, and the Senate wouldn't take it up anyway. So why not use the committee process to expose the truth to the American people and how these terrible choices the Biden administration's making is actually making their lives worse. So let's be specific here. So what do you do with your time if I totally appreciate no pro forma legislation, it's all going to get vetoed anyway, or almost all, but that makes sense. So what do you do? Is it investigations? Yes. I mean, what is it? Well, I mean, look, I would have the Education Committee looking into the Biden Center yes. at UPenn. I would have the Armed Services Committee looking at the impact on our for fighting force with these mandates and with the number of people that have just left because of all the white supremacy yes. stand downs. I would use our health care committees to get to the bottom of the Wuhan Institute of Virology Absolutely. and their role in this virus. So, like, literally every committee, there has to be an approach like that. But here's what has to change structurally. Right now, the way you become a committee chairman, Republican or Democrat, is that the special interests who lobby your committee want you. 
And so they go and fund your ambitions, and then the chairman become captive to those special interests. And they want bills. You know, they want to wrap the apparatus of government around their particular business model. And so I would ditch seniority as an organizing principle of selecting leadership, and I would construct a steering committee that would say to people who want to be chairman, come forward and identify the investigations you want to run. I'm on the Judiciary Committee. I think nothing is more dangerous right now than the weaponization of the Justice Department against people who show up at school board meetings. Because that paves the way for such a broad political targeting, the likes of which we've never seen before. But one of the things that the Breitbart audience is most cynical about is that even when Republicans have power, it seems like no one's held accountable. The deep state still gets bigger, just maybe at a slower rate. Big tech gets more monopolistic, just maybe at a slightly slower rate. What is the plan to hold the Adam Schiff's, the uh, Dr. Fauci's, the people who have been so irresponsible with their power accountable? Well, in a way, the Democrats right now are opening Pandora's box with subpoenaing the phone records of lawmakers, stripping people of committees like they've done to Gosar and Green. And so I think we'll have to use some of their tools against them. That means having a fighting force in our leadership, not a group that just wants to hold hands with the, in the warm spring rain with the Democrats. I'm supposed to talk to Marjorie Taylor Greene later this weekend, and I know she spoke to Kevin McCarthy, and I presume they discussed whether or not there's going to be committees that people are going to be stripped from if Republicans get power, but well, maybe I mean, not. I'm very skeptical Alex, of this. we can't even strip Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger of their committee. I mean, today, Liz Cheney is serving on the Armed Services Committee. Yeah. She is on Leader McCarthy's China Task Force, and she is literally weaponizing the institution against our members. So, I mean, like, we can't even clean up our own house right now when we have the power, and so your readers are justified in their skepticism of our current leadership. So what is the, so what is the way that you convince the Republican establishment? Some of them are coming around ideologically, but tactically, that it is time to be more aggressive. That has to be ignited from the activist base. It's literally why I am here in the deserts of Arizona and not looking at the beautiful emerald waters of North Florida. Right. You know, I am here because at the end of the day, the inspiration is drawn from the people who knock on the doors, who make the phone calls, who give those $25 and $50 donations. And they have to make demands of the Republican leadership to a greater extent than we do now. Look, there is an establishment in Washington that wants to reconstitute. They were very disrupted by the Trump presidency, and we should not let them. We should ensure that this new rising populism that really, you know, Breitbart has been a big part of the architecture of, that that doesn't fade away and, and become a vestige of history. So I want to talk a little bit about how you personally have been attacked for whatever the reasons are. You've certainly taken more incoming than pretty much anyone other than maybe President Trump. Mark Meadows is catching up really quick. Yeah, Jordan see, too. I mean, you see this last week, they're trying to throw Jordan in jail for like totally innocuous text messages. So was there ever a moment that you thought, maybe this is too much or does it fuel you? I come from a fighting district. The district I represent has the highest concentration of active duty military and veterans in America. And that is where I draw my inspiration. And there wasn't a moment I didn't think, uh, you know, that uh, it would be appropriate to step away from that fight because I see how hard my constituents battle to preserve the greatness of our country. So look, uh, when you're one of the firebrands, you spend your time in the barrel. I mean, remember when they tried to throw Devin Nunes in jail because he went to Trump and said, these people are illegally spying on your campaign. And it was all true. It was all true. And by the way, one of the nicest guys also in the Congress is just like- uh, I'm devastated he's leaving. Yeah, I'll be I honest know. with you. I, I'm very heartbroken by that because 
Devin was the kind of guy, if he was the leader of the Ways and Means Committee, we would have had a cudgel against a politicized IRS. And so now we'll have to find some good replacements. Did, did you see a clear replacement in, the, in that? Because that's such a big spot. Uh, it's a big spot. We got a lot of uh, great members there. For me, it's less about the individual, more about, you know, what are you going to do? Is the job of the Ways and Means Chairman to find some new carve out in the tax code that we can pass, you know, in the middle of the night? Or is the job to ensure that our countrymen are treated fairly? I think one of the things that people like about you least on the left is that you're actually having a good time. <laughs> and you're actually not, you're a firebrand, that's your branding, but it's a, you're actually kind of nice and you reach across the aisle, Katie Hill, AOC. I mean, you're actually trying to talk to these people. Does anyone ever return the favor and reach back out? You know, it, it's interesting you ask that question. Things have really changed since January 6th. Democrats used to sort of be our fellow human beings right. on the floor. Yeah. And while we could have bitter disagreements on one thing, yeah. we could, you know, at times see other things the same way. I mean, I, I am not a neoconservative. I'm not trying to find new caves in Central Asia to invade. I'm not trying to find new ways to harm the civil rights of our fellow Americans. And sometimes I'm actually like on the same side as people like Ilhan Omar or Zoe Lofgren or people like that on, on those questions. And I think that populist connectivity is good for the country, but unfortunately after January 6th, they are so so taken by their own sense of grievance yeah. that that dominates over policymaking. So let me be specific about AOC. Uh, have you had any interaction with her directly? Because I know you've tried. You know, Alex and I used to talk on a, on a daily basis when we had voting days before January 6th, and uh, she hadn't spoken to me since. Do you think that she's changed or is it just the atmosphere? Yeah, no, I, I think that day changed a lot of my Democrat colleagues and I think also the way they reacted to yeah. it. You know, they, they became so bought in to the like overreaction sure. that they now can't reconcile that with any semblance of collegiality, which is a shame. I regret that. It, it, it is a shame and I've noticed this too. It's not like I wasn't thrilled about what was happening on January the 6th. I don't think the vast majority of conservatives were, but the extreme overreaction, I think took any sort of lesson you could have learned right. and has had the reverse effect and that does leave us more divided. But luckily, we have the unifier in chief in the White House, Joe Biden, evaluate his performance thus far. Uh, he's obviously a man in decline, and he is overseeing a nation in decline. And managed American decline is really a, a greater threat than some just precipitous drop off the cliff. Yeah. It would probably be further along and cycling him out and cycling Harris in if she wasn't such an embarrassment. And now I she's mean, been worse than he's been. It, it, is, it is hard for Democrats, I think, to sort of cringe their way through the Kamala Harris experience. And so they're sort of stuck with either the weekend at Bernie's option you know, yeah. or an option where really things could, could become even more, more catastrophic. So your district's in free Florida, close yes. to Alabama. I mean, yes. this is middle America. Yes. So what are you hearing from specifically from your constituents? Is it gas prices? Is it China? Is it tech? What is it? What are the things that are on their mind? Kitchen table economics. Uh, are either not an issue or they are the only issue. You know, I, I live in a part of America where we don't have a lot of this crime that's hurting America's Democrat-run cities. Everyone's real patriotic. No one would have thought to burn down a business during the summer of 2020 in North Florida. That would have been taken care of very quickly. Yeah. But people do feel like the lives that they've built, the money that they've saved, the assets that they have are just running through their fingers like sand on the beach. And that creates a great anxiety. And folks want people who will battle for them. You know, I think in the politics of yesteryear, 
folks would say, okay, well, I might agree with this person on taxes and this person on the environment, this person on guns, and you try to pick the person that you agree with the most to be a representative. But increasingly in my district, there is the sense that it's us against them. And most of them want to destroy most of us, and it's choose your fighter time. We need more fighters in Congress. I need backup. And that's why I'm calling on these legions of activists to help us out. So talk to me about the Olympics. We're about to go to Beijing, literally Beijing, and do an Olympics. Do you think we should? You know, I haven't been much on the Olympics. I am sympathetic to athletes who prepared their whole life for a moment, and I actually like to see America win. But, you know, I think it was President Trump who said, everything woke turns to shit. <laughs> and increasingly, that's <laughs> the case with the Olympics. Of many good ones. Sort of the, the case with the Olympics. I think this diplomatic boycott is, that we're doing now is sort of, you know, it's so like how we deal with China. You know, it's, it's not quite enough. And, uh, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not too taken by the experience. Well, what's your message to people who want to be a part of the conservative movement in a bigger way, maybe Republican politics, that they know they could be the next Matt Gates, not in being someone who a lot of people admire, but someone who is going to get attacked a lot, relentlessly. Every single thing you do, they're going to go through your trash. Uh, that is, the left is sending it very clear. You're an example. They're making you an example. Yeah. And that is designed to discourage people. Well, you're totally right, but there is a role for patriotic fighters at every level of this movement, Alex. Whether it's someone stuffing envelopes, whether it's someone running for Congress, you know, we need people who are better skilled at the mechanics of campaigning. I mean, we had the better candidate in the last election. They had the better strategy. They had the better lawyers. So I think we need people to think about how their skill sets contribute to the fight. And then people do need to improve their skill stack. You know, if you're someone who's just been knocking on doors, maybe you learn how to be a poll watcher how to make sure that you get evidence of any election irregularities to a judicial process quickly so you're not trying to reorient yourself to potential fraud after the fact. So I think uh, that is important. And you know what? They do come for the fighters. But that's always been the case in America. And it's just still a country worth all the fight we have. I mean, there's nowhere to go. There's no distant land somewhere to convert to our purpose if we fail. And so uh, while we take some slings and arrows, It'll be worth it uh, when we save this great country. Matt Gaze, Congressman from Florida, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Alex. Good seeing you, man. Two guests today could not resist, including the interview with Frances Martel. I think all the producers agreed. Uh, she is a such a bright light, such a uh, high intellect uh, person that we're blessed to have as our world editor at Breitbart News. Covers Dr. So Tedros, the guy who's not a medical doctor, yet still holds the most reports. important medical doctor position in the world because we're an insane uh, planet at this time. And he is going to get to retain his uh, title as director general of the World Health Organization, despite the fact that he presided over this pandemic very poorly from the very start. And he's going to get to do it uncontested. Break this down for us. Sure. Um, happy New Year, first of all, and uh, thanks for having me on the first show. It's it's fun to be here. Um, so Tedros has done a, a truly horrible job, um, and this is someone that keeps falling up. Um, he was accused of um, hiding at least three cholera outbreaks in Ethiopia when he was health minister there, and that's the record that he had when he was elected uh, to be director general of the World Health Organization. Um, now we know he helped cover up the uh, Chinese coronavirus pandemic. The World Health Organization um, said very clearly that the Chinese coronavirus was not transmissible from person to person in January 2020, which we know now is, is a hilarious lie. 
um, and he is going to be reelected. He's completely uncontested. Um, this is fascinating to me because I had planned to write a story about the World Health Organization election, sort of thinking, you know, it's got to be contested hotly because Tedros did such a terrible job. And then I go to the World Health Organization website to look at the candidates page, and there's only one candidate, and it's Tedros. So no country in the world that is part of the World Health Organization could come up with a single doctor or or non-doctor, because Tedros isn't a doctor, um, anywhere in the world that might be better than Tedros at this job. Um, that's kind of where we are now in terms of the UN agency who, that is responsible for, you know, getting us through this pandemic. So who is he accountable to as the director general of the World Health Organization? Who really controls whether or not he has to run against someone or whether or not he stays in power? How long is he in power, et cetera? Well, he gets um, – you get two five-year terms by the rules um, if you get reelected. And, um, you know, it's, it's the countries that are part of the World Health Organization that get to vote for who's in power. So on paper, uh, every single country gets a vote, and, you know, they work it out, and um, they're supposed to pick the person – you know, it's not supposed to be political. They're just supposed to pick the best doctor. Um, in reality, what happens is that the major powers, especially China, try to manipulate the votes um, the way they do with everything else. I mean, China's on the Human Rights Council at the U.N. And, um, and, and part of that is because they manipulate the votes by essentially using the Belt and Road Initiative to pay off smaller countries to vote for their interests. Um, so that happens at the World Health Organization, too. You've got China heavily influencing other votes. Um, and, you know, I'm not totally sure if there's a recall process. I assume there's something like that. But you would have to galvanize this huge amount of support for getting rid of Tedros from countries that are have proven not interested in that because they voted for Tedros and China was a big reason why. Um, Tedros was a huge proponent of the Belt and Road Initiative in Ethiopia. Um, he has praised China's handling of the pandemic that it created repeatedly. Um, so the, the question is, you know, is there any will on the side of anybody who's not China to galvanize votes to get him out? And the answer is a resounding no. Uh, it's just striking to me how we could be in the middle of a pandemic and that no one really objects to the way this guy handled it. And again, with the way he handled it the first month, announcing that it was not going to be transmissible um, from human to human, which was the crucial month. It, it, you would think right there that would be enough to get the axe. And yet uncontested, it just shows you how corrupt basically every globalist institution is. Not even basically. I don't need the, the, the uh, modifier there. Every globalist institution but why, Francis, do you feel like I, I'm only reading about this stuff on Breitbart? There isn't anyone else on Earth? Um, well, there was some passing mention to him having an uncontested ride in September when the, the deadline showed up for submitting new votes. Um, but there was no interest in exploring why or explaining how this is bad or even looking at his record. And, and I think it's because... To look at his record is to reevaluate China's role in the entire pandemic. And, and as we've seen, uh, corporate media is very uninterested in addressing why this is happening to us, why so many people have died, why so many people are sick. Um, and, and the second you get into that conversation, which you need to get into to talk about Tedros's record, um, people get really gun-shy. Um, part of that is the amount of Chinese money that goes into corporate media in 
institutions and and connections. Um, part of that, I think, is a chilling effect that came from the big tech crackdown on anyone questioning any part of the, the official narrative on the pandemic um, that happened in 2020 that has eased a little bit now, but now people are self-censoring. So it's it's a number of factors, but I think it's because if you want to evaluate Tedros's record, you have to evaluate China's role in this, and there's uh, exactly. a lot of resistance to that. Exactly, and this just shows you that China has taken over the world. They haven't taken it over. And I found myself reflecting on this a lot over New Year's, and a lot of this is you're doing, Francis, looking at some of the great coverage you and John Hayward have put together um, for the year-end roundup coverage. And I'm starting to think that either 2021 was the year China took over the world or 2022 will officially be that year. I just don't see any real refutation to that at the moment. But could you evaluate that kind of broad statement I just made? Sure. Um, I think they are close, but what China is missing here is is two things. They have to win hearts and minds, and the vast majority of the population on of like every country on earth hates them. Um, if you look at something I love to do is read op-eds in newspapers in places like Kenya, for example, and you'll find you know there's a lot of anti-Chinese sentiment in almost you know you could pick a country, spin the globe, pick a country, find a newspaper, and you'll find people complaining about it. Um, the the other big weakness they have is their military is terrible for the size that it is. Um, you know, we love to to argue about whether the Chinese military is superior to us, and you know, the Pentagon has gay stuff, therefore the Chinese are going to destroy us. That's all nonsense, and we know it's nonsense because the Chinese tried to invade India in 2020, and they got destroyed. Um, they couldn't handle the weather in the Himalayas. They they couldn't battle, and this was a non-firearms exchange so the indians did not have firearms and they and were outnumbered two to one and they destroyed the chinese people's liberation army um so i think that incident really highlights that they are not ready for us if if they're not ready for a small contingent of indian soldiers they are not ready for the u.s military um and they know this which is why they're trying to take over all of our institutions in this like friendly bribery way where they just pay people off or they find like-minded people in in big tech um and they're not challenging us militarily because they know better uh the second that that changes the second that they feel confident enough to to overrun our military they they will take over the world in in the full sense of of what that term means well one thing that is uh, i think one of the uh, it, it, one of the one of the major issues now is big tech, and this has been a big show, a big concept on the show that I've been discussing because I was floored by the data that TikTok is now even more popular than Google around the world. It's the most popular domain, and I think that not only is TikTok, I mean, not only is it you know run by the Beijing Communist Party, uh, but it's also something that is wildly distracting, and it seems to be custom built to distract young Americans from doing anything productive and just to get sucked into this black hole of staring at your screens all day, doing stupid stuff. And this, to me, struck me as maybe the beginning of the end of, of American domination around the world. And I hate to be grave about it, but I think someone needs to be, uh, that if we keep doing this, wasting millions upon millions of hours every year staring at these screens, uh, we're going to, how, Francis, are we going to be able to process exactly how scary the world can be? Yeah, it's uh, TikTok is terrifying because it's a weapon targeted at the youngest Americans, um, and a lot of 
Americans are too busy, you know, trying to juggle two or three jobs to really stare at, you know, every single thing that their kid is watching on their computer. And and that's not their fault. That's the fault of the non-big tech globalists that are making it impossible for you to sustain yourself on, you know, one salary. So you have to hustle with Uber or whatever, and you're not paying attention to your kids. And that's where TikTok comes in. It's essentially supplanted significant parts of parenting um so that's really scary um because it hurts like you said concentration um and it it, there's a lot of creative energy in america that's being poured into this you know like people dancing with little captions that mean nothing um but i think there's going to be a backlash i think the backlash has already started a little bit i mean it always surprises me when i encounter any gen z person and, and they tend to be radically more conservative and radically more concerned about, um, you know, data privacy and that sort of thing than we millennials are. Um, So that's really the only hope there. And, and of course, the other hope is that China is not going to have a next generation because its birth rate is collapsing. Uh, So that's going to be something they have to handle. Um, But needless to say, I think that things like TikTok and social media generally are something that, you know, we need greater collective effort to combat because it's clearly a, a foreign weapon. Uh, it, it, exactly. It is clearly a foreign weapon. It's a perfect way of putting it. And whether or not we're being 100% literal or merely mostly literal, I, you guys can leave that up to your interpretation. But this is certainly a dark road we're going down. And it is um, uh, something that we need to discuss a lot more than we're discussing it, particularly when you see Silicon Valley, which already is you know, controls California and really much of Washington at this point and so much of the American economy, how all they're getting gradually more and more globalist and more and more, not just globalist, Francis, pro-China, because unlike in the United States, China does demand that you are, uh, that, that you do promote the regime, the Communist Party, and that you are a part of it uh, if you want to have a business that is not just thriving, but is open at all in China. And this is something that as you see these giant tech platforms become increasingly um, not inclined to promote American values, basic stuff like freedom of speech, stuff like that. You're seeing all of these gigantic tech companies that grew and thrive in the United States now bend the knee to China at a much broader level. I think this bodes very poorly, and I do think this is a a trend that will probably continue into the new year. Absolutely. And and the scariest thing to me about this is that a lot of these big tech overlords, they don't seem to be bending the knee to China because they're afraid of China. They seem to be doing it because they agree with the principles that the Chinese Communist Party stands for. And those principles are uh, genocide, uh, mass erasure of diversity of thought. Um, you know, just extreme poverty for anyone who is a dissident to the status quo and vast luxury for the the small elite at the top. Um, So that's that's what's scary to me is these are people who would agree with these values whether or not the Chinese Communist Party existed. It just so happens that there is this huge institution on the other side of the world that promotes their values, and so they're natural allies. 
Um, and that's something I think that the fact that there are so few of them is something that sh- should hearten us. Um, the, the elites are very wealthy and they're very powerful, but there aren't that many. Um, and the fact that that number, especially in China, is going to dwindle because of the one-child policy and because of the fact that millennials over there refuse to have children because they don't want their children to be part of the Communist Party. Yeah, expand on this because this is for anyone who's new to the audience. I think this is an important point. Well, we've made it before, but it's always uh, important to reset that this is a sleeping giant within China is how they are have a huge birth rate issue and it's hard to take over the world with no people in it if there's fewer and fewer people in your country so I explain this again Francis sure um, so the the issue with China is that they implemented a one-child policy for about 30 years under Mao where uh, you could only have one kid and if you had if you got pregnant a second time they would kill your kid um, a lot of people would just leave infants to die outside um, there was a mass slaughter that killed at least 400 million according to Chinese state media um, and so what happened with this is that there aren't enough women to sustain the population. There are 34 million more Chinese men than there are Chinese women, and the Chinese Communist Party is extremely racist. It's Han supremacist, and so the few women that there are in the populations that are reproducing, which are ethnic minorities like the Uyghurs and the Kazakhs, they're forcibly sterilizing all of those women. So (laughs) they already have a shortage of women, but the women who aren't Han Chinese are being sterilized, so the, the few women that can't have babies uh, can't have them um, the ones that get pregnant they get forced abortions or their children are killed when they're born um, so the next generation is completely gone and then there's another separate social phenomenon which is super important which is Han Chinese millennials are completely resisting communism and they're doing it by this phenomenon known as lying flat where they have no ambitions they don't try to get promoted at work they barely try to have jobs they don't get married and they don't have kids because anything that they do that benefits them uh, in that way if you know if they get promoted that's because they're doing business that helps the communist party if they get married and they have a kid that child is going to be a young pioneer that grows up into a communist party Party uh, member. So their resistance is essentially to exist as little as possible. So Han Chinese people aren't having kids, Chinese millennials who are, you know, of childbearing age. And then the people who can, again, the, the Uyghurs and, and the Hui and these other minorities are getting forcibly sterilized. So it's going to be very interesting to see how many Chinese people are in Gen Z, are in the future generations, especially um, compared with Western populations where um, now we've been in this panic of, oh, my God, our birth rate is so low for so long that there's a movement to get married and have as many kids as possible um, that's kind of – I think we'll see in like 20 years that there's going to be a little bit of reversal in the West, and that's not happening in China. Um, Francis, let me ask you about Xi Jinping's annual New Year's address, which he made. He does not talk about lockdowns. He does not talk about coronavirus. He does not talk about the government's response. He does not talk about the ongoing outbreaks are taking place right now. Uh, What did he talk about and what did you make of it? He talked about the Chinese space program and the International Space Station, 
um, and he talked about the Olympics. <laughs> so it was all rainbows and, and unicorns um, in his speech. It was all about how great China is, how it's great it's progressing. Meanwhile, you've got a city like Xi'an, which has 13 million people in it locked down that are starving to death because the government won't give them food because they're locked down because of the pandemic. Um, I think this is super important because we tend to think of Xi as, you know, the new Hitler, which he is. He's a genocidal killer. He's, you know, a human rights fiend. He's someone who should be in jail. But we often don't talk about what a terrible bureaucrat he is. He is so bad at basic government management. Um, and you can see this by the fact that he's completely not involved in the response to the pandemic at home. He, he As far as we know from Chinese state media, Xi Jinping has done nothing personally to strategize how to reduce cases, how to get more people vaccinated in a country with large amounts of distrust uh, to the vaccine industry. He's done nothing to, you know, to even enhance testing. He's just the guy at the top, and, and he's talking about astronauts in the Olympics. Um, so that disconnect, I think, is really important for people to remember. Like, this guy is just bad at his job. It's not just the, the more dramatic stuff about him being a mass murderer. He's also just a really bad government official. Um, is there any accountability whatsoever, or is it just total consolidation of the Politburo there, and so long as that's the case, just doesn't make a difference? Absolutely not. There's no accountability. Um, the only hope that, that there is of, of a change besides, you know, something really dramatic, like a, a mass popular revolution, is if the Politburo decides that Xi Jinping is uh, harmful to the bottom line, to their bottom line. And so if there's a revolt within the Politburo, then he's gone, but he has <laughs> he's gone out of his way to make sure that everyone in the Politburo is his close friend. And anyone who has challenged him has been erased. For example, Jack Ma, the, the head of Alibaba, who was once the richest man in China, no longer the richest man in China because he very mildly criticized Xi in, in some public comments, and Xi took it as a sign that Jack Ma wanted to be the next president of China. And he d disappeared for weeks, and then he put out a video apology, and we don't really know what's happened to Jack Ma since then. <laughs> so, um, those, you know, the few people that have criticized him have disappeared. The Politburo is full of cronies. Um, unless there's a military coup or something really crazy and, and highly unlikely, um, there's, there's really no hope for a change up there. Francis Martell again is with me, world editor for us at Breitbart News. Uh, the U.S. has pledged $99 million to the U.N. Palestinian Refugee Agency. Uh, does the U.N. have a purpose right now other than attacking Israel? I mean, it seems like the main thing they do. And why are we continuing to send money to places like this? Well, the U.N. also protects China. <laughs> Those are the only two things it does. Um, My bad. Correction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it doesn't really make them look much better. But, yeah, I mean, the amount, especially the U.N. Human Rights Council, which you would think would be preoccupied with, you know, the, the vast amount of terrorism by jihadists around the world and, and by Palestinian groups um, and others, you know, people like operations like Hezbollah that, that operate in, in or near Palestine but aren't necessarily Palestinian. Um, there's no real talk of that at the UN. The UN Human Rights Council spends so much time condemning Israel, um, passing resolutions condemning anything from, you know, if Israel builds a new apartment building, the UN is there to condemn it. 
Um, and there's nothing similar. And, of course, that's because the U.N. Human Rights Council members are China, Venezuela, Cuba. <laughs> it's just like the world's worst human rights fiends are on this panel. Um, so we're not going to see any changes there. Uh, it's, it's sort of unfortunate that we are funding this again. But, you know, under Biden, is it really a surprise? Not really. Um, Francis Martel again, world editor for us at Breitbart News. Uh, it's the, the so I, I will check in on Afghanistan with you briefly. Uh, what is the, the state of play in Afghanistan right now? Another one where I think all of us at Breitbart Land would have predicted that all the hot Afghanistan news cycle, which was one of the most intense of the year last year, uh, would come and go, and there'd be no substantial accountability for any mistakes that were made. Uh, of course, that's happened. But what is the reality in that country right now? Well, the Taliban is the government. Um, no one has officially uh, accepted that it's the government. You know, no other country has uh, accepted its legitimacy. But the reality is the Taliban is running the show. And we see things like, um, you know, women aren't really allowed to leave their homes. Um, the uh, Taliban just did a huge uh, destruction, public destruction of uh, thousands of liters of alcohol because alcohol is haram. Um, they, they're now, a, a funny thing they're doing is they're organizing these fake protests um, where Taliban jihadists protest that the U.S. has frozen Afghan government assets so the Taliban can't use that money to repress its people. Um, so that's something new. Um, it all looks like, you know, 1990s Afghanistan, except for those small public relations tweaks, um, like the fake protests, like, um, you know, the Chinese government, the Russians, the Iranians sending their officials to meet with the Taliban, and all this talk about inclusion and, and diversity that the Taliban likes to use now. Um, that's really the only change from the 90s. The, 20, the past 20 years have been completely erased, uh, and it's, it's very tragic for the Afghan people. Uh, last one for today, Francis. Uh, let me ask you about the genocide games. Uh, again, are we still in this? Uh, we're still going to act like it's appropriate to send uh, Olympians to compete in Beijing amid a coronavirus outbreak? Uh, yes, we are. <laughs> Uh, there, no country around the world has boycotted the games. Um, some have said that they're not sending politicians, but that they are sending their athletes. Um, Biden is sending officials. He was supposed to have a diplomatic, quote-unquote, boycott where our officials weren't going, but our athletes were. Um, the Chinese foreign ministry confirmed last week that we are sending officials because there are State Department uh, employees who asked for visas to go to Beijing specifically to accompany the athletes. Um, so we're not even doing the diplomatic boycott now, um, and it's a disgrace. Uh, the, and the thing that uh, is new between the last time we talked about this and now is that the coronavirus outbreak in China is significantly worse than it was, and now it's not just a moral question of should we be participating in the genocide games. Now it's a question of should we be exposing our athletes to one of the worst coronavirus outbreaks in the world. Um, there's an estimate made it 25,000 people are going to go to Beijing in the middle of this outbreak. Uh, and, and there's clearly a health question to be had here, but I haven't seen any American public health officials, you know, question this whatsoever. I, I don't know where Fauci is on this one, but I haven't seen him comment. So. Francis, it's uh, not usually do I get a, a pleasant update from you, but it's still I feel very, very uh, informed now, now that I've gotten my updates. 
that's that's my job. I'm I'm here to bring the bad news with with as much cheer as possible. It's so funny because that feels exactly like my job. Thanks, Francis. I appreciate the time as always, and we'll speak to you many many times throughout the year. I'm sure. I got American that's all for today. Happy New Year again. It should be a big year for Breitbart News Daily and the Breitbart News Daily podcast. Any way to support Breitbart.com, we truly appreciate whether it's sharing our content on the social web, telling 10,000 friends and family members about the podcast, or whatever it is to share whichever content moves you. Maybe it'll move someone else in your life. We appreciate that so much. All right. Thanks to producer Haley and to producer Greg, as well as Bob Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. Uh, and to all of you, the audience that make Breitbart possible. Really looking forward to a big year this year, and thanks for listening.